Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. I am so excited that you've joined us today as we open our Bibles and learn how to serve God. This is one of the lessons on the final Sunday of our 2005 Fall Focus, Built by the Lord. It was a focus on the family and what an exciting period of study it truly was. The lesson you're about to hear is entitled, Families Bless God. We're always asking for God to bless the family, but in this lesson we take a look at the fact that it's high time that the family turns around and blesses God. Open your Bibles and let's learn why. Another bumper sticker on some other cars that I thought was perhaps even more appropriate. It said, America, bless God. As we're concluding our family focus, we've spent five weeks looking at the family. We've talked about all kinds of aspects of the family, the habits of a godly family, the roles, the goals of a godly family. We've talked about worshiping as a family. We've talked about all kinds of things regarding the family. And I hope that you've been involved in the group studies. I hope that you've been involved in the personal studies with the book that we've provided. And I hope that you've been able to make all of the lessons as we've had several great speakers come and talk to us about the family. As we conclude today, I recognize that many of us might think that the greatest that our family has is for God to bless our families. And that certainly is important. We certainly need that. And we're going to be talking about that tonight as we conclude. But more importantly, prior to that, our families have to learn to bless God. To bless God means to say good things about Him, to do good things in His service. And so we might ask ourselves, well, why does God deserve our blessing? Why should we and our families bless God? That's what I'd like for us to take a look at this morning. We're going to notice five reasons why our families... As we've talked about all our habits and all our goals and all our roles, we've talked about praising and blessing God, why we should be involved in that. Before we do that, though, would you bow with me in prayer? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are humbled in your presence. We're so thankful that we get to be here today to worship and honor you, to bless you and to praise you. We want to give you the glory. We do not want it for ourselves. We pray, Father, that your hand of mercy and benevolence will be with this congregation that you will help us to spread your kingdom so that your family here in Middle Tennessee can be increased and grow. And Father, we pray that as we've taken this entire five weeks and devoted it to a study of a family built by you, we pray that you would be with our families. We pray that you would bless us, that we might have husbands that lead and wives that help and children that obey, grandparents that provide wisdom, brothers and sisters that live together with kindness. We pray that you would strengthen us to grow closer in our families and that together we might grow closer to You. And Father, we pray that You forgive us for the times when we've fallen short of Your will. Too often we have not lived either in our families or in our personal lives or even within Your church in the way that You have described in Your Word. And Father, to us belongs shame because of that. We pray that You would wash that shame and that sin away, that You would take our guilt by Your Son's blood. We're so thankful for His sacrifice. We pray that You would strengthen us and lift us up to sit in heavenly places with You. And help us to be a shining light to this community. We pray all these things through your Son's name. Amen. The very first reason that we need to bless God is actually pretty obvious. 
The reason we should bless God is because, because He's God. You look in Job chapter 38. In Job chapter 38, after Job had complained about all the things that were happening to him, and certainly some great He'd overstepped his bounds a little bit in expecting God to have to answer him and explain why he worked that way. And when God finally came to Job, in Job chapter 38, beginning at verse 1, it says, in Job 38 and verse 1, "...the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding." Who set its measurement since you know? Or who stretched the lion on it? Or what on what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? And I placed boundaries on it and I set a bolt and doors and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther, and here your proud waves shall stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken under it. It's changed like the clay. Verse 16, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Verse 19, Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place? And on he goes. And God basically looks at Job and says, Job, listen, I'm God and you are not. And the response from Job, And because He is God, and we're not, He deserves blessing from us. When we consider God, His power, His grace, His might, His judgment, His love, His mercy, everything, it's overwhelming. And because of that, we bless Him and offer our sacrifices of thanksgiving to Him. In Psalm 50, Psalm 50, beginning at verse 1. Psalm 50 and verse 1 says, The Mighty One, God, the Lord, has spoken. And summon the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shone forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before Him, and it is very tempestuous around Him. He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge His people. Gather my godly ones to Me, those who have made a covenant with Me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judged. Verse 7 of Psalm 50, Hear, O My people, and I will speak. O Israel, I'll testify against you. I am God, your God, He says. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before Me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine, and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Verse 22 says, Now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, 
And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. The psalmist says, God is God. And when we consider how amazing, how awesome he is, how can we do anything? But about God and to praise Him and to sing praises to Him and to pray to Him and to honor Him together with our families while we're at home. Why would we reserve that for Sundays when we're with these people? When we remember who God is, how can we do anything but bless Him and praise Him every day when we're at home with our families? As we look in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4. And we see the elders and the creatures as they come before God, beginning at verse 5. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third had a face like that of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And all these magnificent creatures, what are they doing? In verse 8, "...and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come." Now, if magnificent creatures like this can't do anything but bless God, how much more should we? That's how amazing God is. And when the living creatures give glory, verse 9 says, "...and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For You created all things, and because of Your will they existed and were created." That's how amazing our God is. We look in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 is perhaps one of the most evocative chapters in all of the Bible. People have taken the imagery found in Ezekiel chapter 1 and made it mean just about anything they wanted it to mean. And it's it's a phenomenal picture of these amazing creatures and all these. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But you've heard, the, you've heard the reading. You've read it before. Those creatures with bulls and lions and wings and they're flying about in those flying wheels and all the lights and all the precious stones and, and all of those things. And folks have made those mean all that they could make them mean, taking them out of context and stretching them. But I believe that Ezekiel chapter 1, the intention of the entire chapter is simply to get us to verse 28 that says this, "...at the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so is the appearance of the surrounding radiance." Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Here is the glory of God. As Ezekiel there in Babylonian captivity sees God on His throne of cherubim, all He can do is fall before Him, blessing Him, worshiping Him, honoring Him. That is how amazing our God is. And if Ezekiel and His presence would bless Him, how much more should we? Bless our God. And not reserve it just for this time. But when we're at home with our families, bless and praise God. Because He is God. We just can't underestimate this point. We could spend hours and hours looking at passage after passage after passage. We must not be guilty of what God said there in Psalm 50, forgetting that He is God. Why do we bless God? Because He is God. We bless God because He is a loving Father. Many of us 
look at God through the glasses of our relationship with our earthly father. And for some, that's not so bad. For some, we've had good fathers. I, I know me, I had a great dad. Uh, at least for me, he was great anyway. So I don't have trouble looking at God as being a great God, a, a great father. I don't, I don't have any problems with that, but, but some other folks might. Far too often as we take a look at God, we look at Him the same way we look at our earthly fathers, and, and sadly, our earthly fathers don't always do so well. And when we take those things from our earthly father and attribute them to our heavenly father, we've missed, we've missed the boat. God is the epitome of what a loving father ought to be. And as we take a look at our own parents and attribute that to God, perhaps, perhaps you had a father that in disciplining you, he didn't do it for your good, rather he did it to assuage his vengeance or his embarrassment. Perhaps it was slightly abusive. As we take a look at our God and Father, we recognize that He does indeed discipline us. And at times it will certainly seem harsh. But He doesn't do it to assuage His vengeance or out of embarrassment. He does it for our good. If we look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 it says, in Hebrews 12 and verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Our God is a loving Father who disciplines us because we need it. But His discipline is for our good. And it's for our training. And His discipline is not for the moment out of just sheer anger or vengeance or embarrassment. It's for the future. That we can have peaceful fruit of righteousness by the training He gives us. Perhaps your father. Perhaps he didn't have time for you. Perhaps he didn't have time to listen to your cares and concerns. And when you would bring to him what you thought were important matters, he would just kind of brush them off as trivial and say, you know, you just need to grow up. But that's not the way our loving father is. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Well, just think about how amazing that is. Let's face it. We who are adults, we can struggle looking at the problems of our children, the seven, eight-year-olds, and we realize how really small they are because we've got real problems, Right? And I know those of you who are older than me can look at my problems and say, well, you don't even realize how trivial those are. Just wait until you're a little older. I mean, that's just the way it is. But can you imagine, God, when you and I come to Him and say, God, I am really concerned about this? The Maker of the universe who's keeping everything running across the entire universe, He's got the whole world to deal with, and every single person in the world is calling on Him to do something specifically in their lives, and we come to Him, and instead of brushing us off and saying, look, would you just grow up? He actually cares. And He actually listens. And He wants us to come to Him. We should bless God because He is a loving Father. Perhaps your Father would only seem to love you when you attained a certain standard. Or maybe He was even partial, showing more love to your brothers or sisters who had met that standard and not to you. That's not the way our God is. That's not the way our Heavenly Father is. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, 
First John chapter 4, verse 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 16, we have come to know, this is 1 John 4, 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Why does God love us? God doesn't love us because of how we look. It, it doesn't matter to Him how pretty we are, how smart we are, how funny we are, how wealthy we are. It doesn't even matter to Him how much like Him we are. He still loves us. That's not about whether or not we're going to be saved. We have to be like Him. But even when we were not like Him, He still sent His Son to die for each and every one of us. That's how He demonstrated His love. And He didn't take a look at you and say, you're not as pretty as your sister. Jesus didn't die for you. He didn't take a look and say, you're not as athletic as your older brother. Jesus didn't die for you. He's going to send it back for everybody. Just because He is love. That's our loving Father. Perhaps your Father would never respond to your requests and provide you with the good gifts that you desire. Or maybe, on the other hand, you had one of those fathers that would, would just lavish you with presents because he wouldn't spend the time with you and he felt guilty and he was trying to buy your love back. You know, either one of those problems can take place in families today and we struggle with that. But... Our loving Father is not like that. Our loving Father knows how to give us good gifts. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, the Bible there says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? He says, our God gives us good gifts. He takes care of us. But interestingly, He won't give us gifts that will destroy us. As we think about this asking for a fish and not receiving a snake, I always think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, where Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul didn't recognize that this thorn in the flesh was helping him maintain his humility. If God had granted his request and removed the thorn in the flesh, given him that gift, he might have exalted himself and become proud and arrogant. And we know that pride goes before a fall. You see, what we have here is our God knows how to give good gifts. Paul had asked for a serpent. But our Father in Heaven wouldn't give it to him. He gave him the fish. We've got a loving Father who knows how to give good gifts. And His grace is sufficient for us. Which leads us to our third point about why our families should bless God. Because every good gifts, gift comes from Him. James chapter 1 and verse 17. We're all very familiar with that verse. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good thing given... Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every gift. Is the sun shining on you today? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 says that God is the one who causes the sun to shine. 
Has the rain fallen on your crops, allowing you food to eat? Matthew 5 and verse 45 says it's God that causes the rain to fall, that allows us to eat. Were you able to breathe today? Were you able to live and move and exist? Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 says it's by God's hand that we live and move and exist. Have you been able to conduct business this week? Have you been able to get up and go to work and make transactions and write checks and buy things? James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 points out that it's by God's hand that we're allowed to do this or that. And therefore, we should say, if the Lord wills, we will go such and such a place and conduct such and such business. Were you able to give generously just moments ago? First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 14 points out that when we're giving to the Lord's work, we're only giving back what was His to begin with. The abundance that He has given us, we turn around and just give a part of it back. These are God's blessings and God's gifts. He has given us so much. Perhaps we could take a page from our children, especially the little ones. The little ones, I think, have a better concept of God's hand in things than perhaps we do as adults. Have you ever heard a little child pray? How long has it been? I know, saying prayers with my kids at night, there will be times, it's not always like this, but there have been times when it's, dear God, thank you for mommy and daddy and for my brothers and sisters and thank you for my toy dog and my toy cars and, and my uh, action figures and my truck and the puppy next door and for my friends Bobby and Janie and Billy and, and Susie and Cody and Bailey and and on and on and on that list goes. And, and thank you for the night light and thank you for our closet light and thank you for our house and thank you for our yard and thank you for the little bird that we got to see outside the dining room window this morning. Have you ever heard those kind of prayers? It's typically the kids that pray those because we adults at that time are kind of zoning out and thinking, man, when are they going to get done? I've got to get, you know, I've got to get downstairs and watch my television show. But maybe we could learn something from you. You see, I think kids have a better handle on that because kids haven't gotten to the age where God is answering their prayers using them yet. You remember Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 points out, Now that him, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That passage demonstrates that God works through us. So a lot of times when we ask God for blessing, he provides it through the power that's within us. We ask God, how often have we heard this prayer? Dear God, provide us with food, clothing, and shelter. Now, we hear that one a lot. How does God do that? Do we pray that prayer and look up and bang, there it is? No. We get up in the morning, we go to work. We do our job, we manage our money, we buy food, we buy clothes, and we pay for our house. And sometimes we're tempted to believe that that wasn't God. But our kids, they're just absolutely dependent. They're absolutely dependent. They're not providing for any of those things. As far as they know, groceries come from the fridge. It just kind of happens. And that's it. And so they have an ability to bless God because they can see God's hand in that. Whereas because God works through us, I think sometimes we've lost sight of that. But we need to realize what would happen if God took away our ability to live and move and work. We're dependent on Him. We need to bless Him. 
Because every good and every perfect gift comes from Him. We need to bless God because He established the family. This thing we've been studying for the past month, husbands and wives, kids and parents, grandparents, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, all of that came from God in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, Genesis 2:18, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And he makes the woman. And in verse 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice there that God established the family. He saw man alone and said it's not good for him to be alone. The family was designed for our good. And God established that. And here we find a husband and wife. And He talks about leaving father and mother, which also implies children. Of course, as that continues, it produces brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and great-grandparents and all of that list. God established that. And as you take a look at your relationship with your parents, all that wisdom and guidance that you received from your parents. Remember, Phil last week was talking about how as, as he and his father are both getting older, he just loves to listen to his father because of the wisdom. All of that. That's God's blessing to us. The joy that our children provide for us. And I know there's a lot of trials in there too. But, man, there's a lot of joy in there. Did you all see a little while ago? I just have to say this. When I was standing over here, I, I saw that folks were moving to start helping this garage, checking to make sure they had enough. And I started walking over there. Did you all see a little three-year-old run up and give me a hug? That's amazing, isn't it? That's a blessing from God. You like that when your granddaughter does that to you, Jimmy? Yeah. That's a blessing from God. The companionship that we receive from our husbands and wives, and you know what, husbands, really? You know, the Bible says if you found a wife, you found a good thing. And mostly, it's because it's amazing that there was anybody in the world that was willing to put up with us, guys. Because we are not easy to live with. Some of us worse than others. And ladies, well, you deserve us. <laughs> you know, the reality is, it's just lucky that we all were able to find somebody who would say, you know what, yeah, I'll live with this person for the rest of my life. I'll wake up looking at them, smelling their stinky breath. I'll put up with all the problems that they have. I'll help them raise their kids. How amazing. But that's God. That's God's blessing. He provided that. The companionship of brothers and sisters, God established that. And we need a blessing for that. We need to thank Him for that. Now, I realize that there are some folks who hear that and say that this is not a reason to bless God. This is a reason to be angry with God. Sadly, just as, as Satan did in the garden with the very first family. And he got in there and he tempted Eve and he tempted Cain and he botched that first family. I recognize that Satan has come into numerous families today and perhaps even in your family, whether the one you're in now or, or the one you grew up in. And he messed things up. And so for some of us, there are times when we say, this is not a reason to think it's a blessed God, this is a reason to be mad at Him. Why did He do this to me? Well, the thing that we need to remember at that point is that's not God. We need to remember what God established and why He established and what the purpose it was. And if we're going to be upset at anybody about bad family situations, it's not God, because that wasn't a part of His plan. It's the devil who has caused those things. And if we're going to be upset at anybody about the past mistakes and shortcomings in our families, 
Let's let it be another reason why we despise the devil and his works and want to serve and glorify God. Because his plan is good. And we should bless him for it. We should bless God because he is God. Because he's a loving father. Because every good good gift comes from him. Because he established the family. Before we look at that fifth reason, I want to set it up a little bit for you. I want you to think about what life is like. Now, what's your life like? Go to bed late and tired. Get up earlier than you really want to because you've got too much to do. Rush to get the kids ready, bathe, clean, fed, get them off to school. I've got to drudge off to work or, or maybe stay at home and work all day long. Trying to fit all manner of mountains of responsibility within just 24 hours. And then you go to bed utterly exhausted only to get up and do it again tomorrow. Does that sound like anybody's life here? And after a while, do you ever begin to say to yourself, what is the point? Why am I doing this? Why keep cleaning up these messes? Why keep going to work and solving these problems? Why keep teaching all these lessons? Why? What is the point? And if we spend too much time thinking about it, we begin to think that life is pretty well meaningless. It stinks. And then you die. We take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes and we see that that's pretty much what the preacher in Ecclesiastes discovered. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Generation goes, generation comes, the earth remains forever. You skip down to chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it's new? Already it's existed for ages, which were before us. How pointless it is, not, not just from day to day, but from generation to generation. A new one comes, another one goes, and we all think we've discovered everything new, only to find out that everything we thought was novel, our parents did before us, and so did their grandparents. There's nothing new. What's the point of this? Over and over again. We look at chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and behold, it too is futility. I said of laughter, it's madness, of pleasure, what does it accomplish? Verse 3, I exported my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. And I took hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under, the few, under heaven the few years of their life. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought slaves and I had homeborn slaves. Then I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And I collected silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. And I made for myself, I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men and concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I didn't refuse them. I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Man, wouldn't you like to be that guy? He's got it going on. But I considered all my activities which my hands had done, verse 11, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. We can pursue his course of action, and when we're done, we're going to find out at that point life still stinks, and then you die. Chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Keep in mind, 
that the man who wrote this had a son named Rehoboam. We work hard and leave a legacy. And who knows what our kids are going to do with them. Chapter 3, verse 18, I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there's no advantage for man over beasts, for all is vanity. That great equalizer is going to get us all. And it basically makes life just pretty well meaningless. And we come to the conclusion of the preacher in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And our theme verse, remember from Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, says that we build the house, excuse me, we guard the city, we arise early and we retire late, and we eat the bread of painful labors, but for what? I'll tell you the reason we need to bless God. is because God made all of this worthwhile by sending His Son. When He sent His Son to die for us, He made life meaningful. Because it doesn't end at death. We have something truly worthwhile that we're shooting for that we're pressing on toward. But without the death of Jesus Christ, there's nothing. Nothing worthwhile. And I think about parables, like in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. Remember what, what happened in that parable? The five and the two talent man, they used their talents and they gained more talents. And in the end, God gave to the first guy the talents of the one who didn't use it. And then I think about the parable of the unrighteous steward in Luke chapter 16. And Jesus said, for those who are faithful and little will be faithful also and much. And how can you expect those if you won't be faithful with this, these riches? How can you expect to have true riches if you won't be faithful in what is another? How can you expect somebody to give you what is your own? Those parables say to me, and I don't fully understand it, I'm not sure exactly what we're looking forward to in heaven, but I've got to tell you, I think we make a mistake if we think that heaven is simply one big long worship assembly gathered around the throne of God being led in singing by Brother Jimmy over here. That's just not the way it is. I just don't think that's what's going to be there. Those parables say that there's something God is planning on giving us. Some kind of responsibility, and I don't have any idea what, it, idea what it is. But I don't believe that it's just go through this life and then now just up there rolling a tub of butter for the rest of eternity. And I know I've heard some folks, and I've seen the bumper stickers that say, life is, this is not a dress rehearsal. And I understand what they're saying. We've only got this life. Once it's over, it's over. There's, there's not any more of this life. But sometimes I wonder if that's not exactly what this life is. If this life is not a dress rehearsal for eternity. That God has a plan for us. And this is the testing ground, the training ground, to get us prepared for that. So that we can truly accomplish something good for Him. And we have that to look forward to. Being a part of that great plan of God. Whatever it is. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it is. Just roll around in tub of butter for eternity, just praising God. But even that makes this life worthwhile. This week, if you read through the book, 
there was an exercise that you're supposed to go through that's, that said, go through with your family and, and ask about the things that God has blessed you with. And I know when my family and I were talking about it, we started talking about the house and the car and the clothes and the washing machine and all that stuff. And Marina made the point. She said, you know, and it's not just that he gave us stuff. He actually, it's nice stuff. And we're really blessed. But just recently I've been reading something that directed me to the book of Job and I got to thinking about that. And these are all great blessings, but what if God decided to take them away? What if like Job in chapter 1 and chapter 2, I woke up tomorrow and all my kids had been killed? My wife had turned on me. You guys didn't like me anymore and were just accusing me of being a rotten sinner. And I started getting boils breaking out all over my body. What would I think then about God's blessings? Because that's where Job was. And despite Job's questions of God, and despite the fact that he may have overstepped his bounds in questioning God, one of the things that amazes me is Job 19.25. Because Job never turned his back on God. And Job maintained his faith in God. And it says in Job 19.25, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He'll take His stand on the earth. Job recognized that the great thing that God had done for him was not provide the hedge of safety that blessed him with all those material things. The great thing God had done was redemption. The great blessings are the spiritual blessings. And we need to bless God. Because He's made this life worthwhile by sending His Son, Jesus, to die for us. I know we want God's blessings. But I'll tell you what we need to realize is we have already been given God's blessings. God has blessed us tremendously and it's now time for us to turn and bless Him. And our families. That's where it needs to begin. Don't reserve it for here when you get together with the brethren. It needs to be happening at home. Raising up children who bless the Lord. Helping your husband or wife bless the Lord. We need to bless God because He is God. Because He's a loving Father. We need to bless God because every good gift comes from Him. We need to bless God because He's the one that established the family. And we need to bless God because He made living worthwhile by sending His Son. I hope this look at why families should bless God has been beneficial to you. Let's remember what we learned in this lesson. Our families should bless God first because He is God. Second, because He is a loving Father. Third, because every good gift has come from Him. Fourth, because He established the family. And fifth, because He made this life worthwhile by sending His Son to die for us. If you have any questions about the family, or about praising and honoring and worshiping God, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this on CD or on tape. If so, may I please encourage you, go to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. 
At that website, we have numerous lessons that you are free to download, both in audio and outline format. Use them in whatever way you believe will most glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.